Chapter 16, Invisible Hand. Be careful, Dad. You know that strange things often happen when you preach on spiritualism, Anne said to Harold as he prepared to leave. Remember the accident that you had with Claude Watt and Bathurst? I'll be careful, Anne, Harold replied. Picking up his hat and bag, Harold turned to 14-year-old Raymond. Come on, my boy, we have a tram to catch. After kissing Anne goodbye at the door, Harold and Raymond started east along Basin Road in the late afternoon sun, turning left into Brougham Street. It is September 1935 in the city of Launceston, Tasmania. Harold is conducting a tent mission in the northern suburb of Invermay, a few miles from his home in West Launceston. Tonight he's planning to speak on the subject of spiritualism. The subject always drew a good crowd and Harold anticipates that the meeting will be well attended. He looks forward to speaking to new members of the public who may come to hear him out of curiosity about the subject, even though the mission commenced in May, running Sunday and Wednesday nights. Reaching the tram terminus in Brougham Street after their brief walk, Harold and Raymond waited several minutes and the tram appeared, taking them into the city. Launceston is situated on the Tamar River in northern Tasmania and the city and surrounds are very picturesque. The area was settled in 1804 by an expeditionary force sent by Governor King of New South Wales, who feared that the French might settle in Van Diemen's land, as Tasmania was then known. The settlement moved to the present site of Launceston in 1805, making it the third oldest city in Australia. Harold and Raymond changed trams in the city, and the tram moved north across the North Esk River that flows into the Tamar River. Travelling up Invermay Road, the tram passed through the suburb of Inveresk, arriving at their stop in Invermay. Alighting from the tram, Harold and Raymond walked towards the tent. By this time, the sun had almost disappeared. We have arrived in good time tonight, son, Harold commented to Raymond as they approached the tent. It looks as if Brother Brennan has everything in order for tonight's meeting. Harold and Raymond were both looking forward to seeing Dave Brennan, the likeable young tent master. About 40 yards or almost 40 metres from the tent, Harold made a stifled groaning sound and fell heavily face down on the footpath, as if struck from behind by an invisible vehicle. What happened, Dad? Raymond asked as he reached down to help his father who lay prostrate on the ground, struggling for breath. In the fading dusk light, Raymond noticed a large round object on the ground near Harold. It was a large piece of clay about 8 inches or 20 centimetres in diameter. Raymond looked around to see who had thrown it. There was no one in sight. Raymond helped his father to his feet and explained to him that he'd been hit by a large ball of clay. Harold remained bent over with his hands on his knees. After several minutes, Harold recovered his breath sufficiently to speak. He spoke shakily. Help me to take my coat off, son, please. Raymond helped his father remove his coat and together they managed to brush the marks off Harold's coat. Raymond examined the clay. It was grey and pliable, with the consistency of plasticine. The huge ball of clay struck with such force that it flattened into a disc about three inches thick as it struck Harold's spine between his shoulder blades. The clay doesn't look as if it's from around here, Dad, Raymond observed. You're right, son. 
Harold agreed as he winced from the pain in his back. The clay didn't come from over that fence, Dad, as it knocked you straight forward and I was between you and the fence, Raymond added. I'm sure you're right again, son. This clay was not thrown by any human hand. To throw with anything like such force, a human would need to be right behind me and you saw no one. I believe that this is the work of the devil. He is angry about tonight's subject and he has sent a demon to try to prevent me from presenting it. It's a reminder of what we are dealing with when we expose spiritualism. This is not the first time that he's tried to create difficulties for the mission. Raymond threw the clay aside and they walked to the tent and entered. Are you there, Brother Dave? Harold called out. Yes, I'm here, Pastor Harker, Dave Brennan replied, emerging soon after from the back of the tent where he lived during the mission. You look a bit shaken. Is there anything wrong, Dave Brennan asked Harold. I've just been hit with a large piece of clay, but I'm okay now. It's nothing to worry about. I think the demons are stirred up about tonight's topic, but the Lord has not let them seriously injure me. Harold provided some brief details of the incident to Dave Brennan, and soon they were absorbed in final preparations for the evening meeting, while Raymond helped where he could. There was a special intensity in Harold's presentation that night. He reviewed the history of the great conflict between good and evil that began in heaven thousands of years ago and which spilled over into earth when Satan seduced our first parents, Adam and Eve, into disobedience of God's direction, not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Prior to the fall into sin, Satan presented to Eve the lie that disobedience to God would not result in death as God had said. You shall not surely die, Satan had boldly declared to Eve. Through ongoing disobedience and rebellion on the part of the majority of mankind, the belief became established throughout the world that there is life after death. The belief is manifested in Christian churches that believe in consciousness after death and immediate entrance to heaven or hell. Prayers to saints are based upon the belief that the saints are already in heaven where they can intercede on behalf of people on earth. Harold took his listeners through God's prohibitions in the Old Testament against consulting familiar spirits and necromancy, which involve attempts to make contact with the dead. He introduced the experience of King Saul and the Witch of Endor, moving to the New Testament, where he revealed how spiritualism and spiritualistic manifestations will play a significant role in the final events in Earth's history before Jesus comes the second time. He explained how Satan's demons will, amongst other things, impersonate loved ones who have died to ensnare and deceive those who try to make contact with them. The deceptions are so skillful and powerful that they convince all who do not understand and trust the biblical testimony that the dead are unconscious, awaiting the resurrection to life or the resurrection of damnation. His audience listened with rapt attention as he outlined the dangers of the seance and the Ouija board. When Harold finished his presentation, the audience was subdued and quiet. People filed from the tent, speaking in hushed tones. After speaking with those who remained behind with questions, the men closed down the tent, and after prayer, Harold and Brother Brennan spoke briefly together before Harold and Raymond began their journey home to West Launceston. As the trams rumbled through the cool evening air, Harold and Raymond talked about the evening's events and those of the last several months. 
Remember how the rain poured down in torrents on the Sunday night the mission started in April? Harold reminded Raymond. The weather was most unpleasant. We didn't know if anyone other than our faithful church members would attend the meeting. But a number of people not of our faith ventured out to the meeting and many of them are still attending. Harold continued, The Lord has overruled every difficulty the devil has put in our way. Harold reminded Raymond of an incident that had taken place in South Australia before Raymond was born. Harold was given a pot plant to decorate his tent. When he spoke on the subject of spiritualism, the pot plant tumbled over twice and fell to the floor with a crash. Harold later discovered that the pot plant had been used in a seance. No one who saw Harold and Raymond travelling home would have suspected that a great spiritual battle had played out in Launceston that night or their part in it. The invisible hand, for all its malice, had been deflected from its deadly purpose. Once more, Harold's life was preserved. The next morning, Harold related the amazing events of the previous night to his mother and to Phyllis and Jack. All recognised that God's protecting hand had once more been over the family. At the time, eight-year-old Jack was still recovering from a tramway accident that almost took his life. Jack was travelling home from school on the tram when he alighted before it stopped at the terminus in Brougham Street. He had seen others do this. Unfortunately, he chose to do this about 40 yards from the terminus where the line veered slightly. The tram lurched as he jumped from the carriage, causing him to fall backward. A bolt under the running board struck him behind his ear. Jack remained conscious and was able to recall his name and address. Anne was informed and came immediately. Jack was taken to Launceston Hospital. The wound became septic and Jack's life was once more in danger. Earnest prayers were offered for his recovery and he slowly began to improve under constant medical care. He spent three months in hospital before he could return home. Raymond's adventurous spirit also led to several misadventures. Once he dived into the basin reserve, but the water was so cold he felt paralysed. He managed to get out of the water, shivering as he returned home. The incident could have been very serious. The basin reserve has extremely cold sections of water, and some who swam into these areas were overwhelmed by the cold and drowned. Signs warned of the danger. On another occasion, John Coldhart, Raymond's friend, rode his father's bicycle across town to spend the day with Raymond. They decided to visit John's auntie, who lived in a street off Connaught Crescent, which was on the city side of Brougham Street. Raymond pedalled while John sat on the handlebars. They hurtled down Connaught Crescent. John called out, slow down, we have to turn here. As Raymond tried to turn, the wheels skidded on clay pebbles on the road and they parted company with the bicycle. Raymond landed on John. Despite losing skin on his nose and chin, John's first question was, is the grid okay? Assured that the bicycle was undamaged, John's thoughts turned to his injuries. The time at Basin Road was memorable for an incident involving Harold. One day Harold glanced out of the window of the house and saw a man whipping an old sway-backed horse as it struggled to pull him and a loaded cart up Basin Road. Upset by the cruel treatment of the horse, Harold rushed to the road and remonstrated with the man. Harold could not stand to see horses mistreated. 
The year 1935 was not all drama. Soon after arriving at Basin Road, Harold tuned into the Advent Radio Church services on his little five-valve super heterodyne radio. The broadcast came from Sydney. Harold was much impressed with this new form of evangelism and recognised its potential for reaching large audiences. He was open to new methods that could get the Adventist message to people in the community. He wrote to Pastor Ahi Hare, who was one of the speakers, I need not ask how you are, for judging by your voice you are A1 and going strong. I imagine that I was back in New South Wales. It was real nice to hear your familiar voice over the air. The program was excellent. Pastor Kent's voice was very clear too, also the choir. The message came through well. The broadcast from Sydney could also be heard in South Australia. Little did Harold realise when he penned this letter that his future ministry would involve support of radio work in Sydney, but that was three years away. More adventures awaited him in Tasmania. <laughs> 